0: You're listening to Allen Oleander Public Radio. Astounding Stories 19, July 1931. Chapter 23. Diabolical Exile of Time. Tew saw us as we stood in our cage doorway. His thick, barrel-like figure rose erect, and from his parted cloak his arms waved with a wild gesture of defiance and triumph. It was clearly outlined in the red sunlight against the surface of the sea behind. We saw in one of his hands a ray cylinder. And then his arm came down, and he fired at us. It was the white, disintegrating ray. We were stricken by surprise, and stood for that moment transfixed in our doorway. Tew's narrow, intensely white beam leapt over the intervening rocks, it fell short of us. I saw that it had a range of about a hundred feet, Over the muffled, heavy silence of the blood-red day, the cripple's curse floated clear. He lowered his weapon, and heedless that we also might be armed, he leapt nimbly past Mary's prostrate form and came shambling over the rocks, directly for me. It stung me into action, and for all the chaotic rush of these desperate moments, my heart surged with relief. Mary was not dead. Beyond Tew's oncoming figure, as he shambled like an infuriated charging bear over the rough, rocky ground, I saw the white form of Mary move. She was striving to sit up. I held my ray cylinder, the one I had rescued from Miguel, but its range was no more than twenty feet. I had tested it, and Tew's beam had flashed a full hundred. I whirled on Larry. Get away from here! You and Tina, you can't help me! George, listen! He's coming! "'Larry, you damn fool! Get away from here! "'It goes a hundred feet, that ray of his. "'It'll be raking us in a minute. "'Run, I tell you! Get to that line of rocks!' Close behind our cage was a small broken ridge of rocks, strewn boulders in a tumbled line some ten or fifteen feet in height. It would afford shelter. There were broken places to give passage through it. The ridge curved crescent-shaped behind our cage and ran down towards the shore.' Larry and Tina stood white and confused. Larry panted. But George, I can help you fight him. Hide here in the cage. Get away, I tell you. It's his death or mine this time. I'll get him if I can. I shoved Larry violently away and ducked back into our doorway. Only a few breathless seconds had passed. Chew was still several hundred feet away from us. Larry and Tina ran behind the cage, darted between the boulders of the ridge and vanished. I crouched in the cage. Chew was not visible from here. A moment passed. Dared I remain? If I could get Chew within twenty feet of me, my shot was as good as his. The silence was horrible. Was he coming forward? Did he know where I was in here? I thought surely he must have seen Larry and Tina run away and me dart in here. we had all been in plain sight of him. This Horrible silence. Was he creeping up on me? Would he fire through the doorway or appear abruptly at the window? Could not tell where to place myself in the room and it could mean my life or death. The silence was split by Tina calling. Tew, we've caught you! Her voice was to one side and behind our cage calling defiance at Tew to distract his attention from me. Through the window I saw the flash of his beam slanting sideways at Tina. I gauged the source of his ray to be still some distance off and crept to the door, cautiously peering. Chew stood on the open rock surface. He had swung to my right and was near the little ridge of rocks where it turned and bent down to the shore. Behind me came Tina's voice again. At last we have you, Chew! I saw Tina poised on the top of the ridge, partially behind me at the elbow of the ridge curve. She screamed her defiance, and again tube fired at her, Beam slanted over me, but still was short. Larry had vanished. Then I saw him, though tube did not. He had run along behind the ridge, and appeared now, well down towards the shore. He was barely a hundred feet from the cripple. I saw him stoop, seize a chunk of rock, and throw it. The missile bounded and passed close to Tube. Larry instantly damped back out of sight. The bounding stone startled Tew. He whirled toward it and fired over the ridge. Tina again had changed her position and was shouting at him. They were trying to exhaust his cylinder charges, and if they could do that, he would be helpless before me. For a moment he stood as though confused. As he turned to gaze after Tina, Larry flung another rock, but this time Chew did not fire. He started back towards where, by the wreckage of his cage, Mary was now sitting up in a daze. Then he changed his mind, whirled, and fired directly at my doorway. I was just beyond the effective range of his being, but it was truly aimed. I felt the horrible, nauseous impact of it, a shuddering, indescribable, sickening of all my being. I staggered back into the room and recovered my strength. A side window port was open leapt through it and landed upon the rocks with the cage between Tugh and me. He fired again at the doorway. Tina had disappeared. Larry was now out of range, standing on the ridge, shouting and hurling rocks. But Tugh did not heed him. He was shambling from my doorway. He would pass within 20 feet of me as I crouched outside the cage at his opposite corner. I could take him by surprise. And then he saw me. He was less than a hundred feet away. He changed his direction and fired again, full at me. But I had had enough warning, and, as the beam struck the cage corner, I ran back along the outer wall of the cage and appeared at the other corner. Tew came still closer, his weapon pointed downward as he ran, fifty feet away. Not close enough! I think, there at the last, that Tew was wholly confused. Larry had come much closer. He was shouting, and from a ridge behind me, Tina was shouting. She ran, not for where I was lurking now, but for the corner where a moment before he had seen me. Now he was thirty feet from me. Twenty. Then, nearer than that. Wholly without caution, he came forward. I leaned around the edge of the cage and fired. In one breathless instant, the voices of Tina and Larry abruptly hushed. My beams struck T in the chest. It caught him and clung to him, bathing him in its spreading intense white glare. He stopped in his tracks, stood transfixed for one breathless, horrible instant. He was so close that I could see the stupid surprise on his hideous features. His wide slit of mouth gaped with astonishment. My beam clung to him, but he did not fall. He stood astonished, then turned and came at me. For just a moment I was stricken helpless there before him, What manner of man was this? He did not fall. My ray, which had decomposed the body of Alan, the guard, had left his skeleton stripped and bleached in an instant, did not harm Jew. He had walked into it, taken it full, and he did not fall. He was still alive. I came to my senses and saw that Larry, seeing my danger, had run into the open, dangerously close, and held a rock. It struck Chew upon the shoulder and deflected his aim so that his flash went over me. I saw Chew whirl toward Larry, and I rushed forward, ripping loose the cylinder of the ray projector from its restraining battery cord. In the instant the cripple was turned halfway from me, I landed upon him, and with all my strength brought the point of the small heavy cylinder down on his skull. There was a strange splintering crack and a wild, eerie scream from his voice. He fell with me on top of him.
1: Crowning horror,
0: lay motionless, twisted half on his back, his thick arms outstretched on the rocks, and his weapon still clutched in his hand. Culminating gruesome horror, I rose from his body and stood shuddering. Amazing realisation, the bulging, misshapen head was splintered open and from it strewn over the rocks with tiny intricate cogs and wheels, coils and broken wires. It was not a man, but a robot, a super-robot from some unknown era, running amok, a mechanism so cleverly fashioned by the genius of man that it stood diabolically upon the threshold of humanity. A super-mechanical exile of time, but its wild irrational career of destruction through the ages now was over. It lay in smashed and broken at my feet. End of chapter 23. Chapter 24. The Return. I think there is little I should add. Hugh's last purpose had been to hurl himself and Mary past the lifetime of our world, wrecking the cage and flinging them into eternity together. And Hugh is luring our cave and us to the same fate the Mary, to save us, had watched her opportunity, seized the main control lever and demolished the vehicle by its instantaneous stopping. We left the shower of Tew lying there in the red sunlight of the empty, dying world and returned to Tina's palace. We found that the revolt was over. The city, with help arrived, was striving to emerge from the bloody chaos. Barry and Tina decided to remain permanently in her time. They would take us back. But the cage was too diabolical to keep in existence. "'I shall send it forward unoccupied,' said Tina. "'Flash it into eternity, where Tew tried to go.'" Accompanied by Larry, she carried Mary and me to 1935. With Mary's father, her only relative dead, she yielded to my urging. We arrived in October 1935. My New York, like Tina's victim of the exile of time, was rapidly being reconstructed. It was night when we stopped and the familiar outlines of packing place were around us. We stood at the cage doorway. Goodbye, I said to Larry and Tina. Good luck to both of you. The girls kissed each other, such strangely contrasting types. Over a thousand years was between them, yet how alike they were fundamentally both just girls. Larry gripped my hand. In times of emotion, one is sometimes inarticulate. Goodbye, George,' he said. "'We've already said all there is to say, haven't we?' There were tears in both the girl's eyes. We four had been so close. We had been through so much together. And now we were parting forever. All four of us were stricken with surprise at how it affected us. We stood gazing at one another. No, I burst out. I haven't said all there is to say. Don't you destroy that cage. You come back. Guard it as carefully as you can, and come back. Land here next year in October. Say, night of the 15th. Will you? We'll be waiting. Yes, Tina abruptly agreed. We stood watching them as they slid the door closed. The cage for a moment stood quiescent. Then it began faintly humming. It glowed, faded to a spectre, and was gone. Mary and I turned away in the New York City of 1935 to begin our life together. End of Exile of Time by Ray Cummings